Praise God. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, good, good. So glad to see you here. Welcome to Bethany. My name is Tom. Uh, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. One of our ushers will be happy to bring you one. It's our gift to you. Uh, take it with you. We love you. Um, couple of, one item before we dig in. Don't forget the business meeting. If you've never been to one, you owe it to yourself, you know, um, uh, to do that. Next week is Super Bowl Sunday. It's a very manly day. And so appropriately, we're starting a three-week series called Man Up. Uh, to become the man that God created you and me to be. And this is not only for guys. This is for all the women who love them or hope to one day. Or love them again. So we've got cards. Pick one up. They're invitation cards, reminder cards. Every guy you know, every guy you know is going to be an incredible time in God's Word. You are more and called to more than you, you can ever imagine. And, and, and you win the men and you win the world. And, and ladies, you are important and valued and powerful. We're focusing on the men. And there's going to be roles for you in that. Oh, come. Oh, come. I'm going to be here. So come. Uh, we're in the final week of a three-week series called What If Jesus Really Meant It? And in it, we're looking at Jesus' hardest teachings, some of them in Scripture. And, and there's part of me that wants to shy away and shrink back from them uh, because I prefer the blessing and the joy and the, and the build-up. But you know what? He is God, and He is Lord, and He is my Savior, and He is the all in all. And I want all of Him, and, and, and He's speaking to us. And so we want it. We want it. That's what we're about here. 
uh, we will pull no punches. Um, let's pray and then we'll get started. Uh, pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel, the good news. It is so wonderful. Thank you, Father, for treating your son as if he lived our lives so you could treat us as if we lived his. And Lord Jesus, we want to be fully yours, truly yours, not just think, not just believe, not just appear that we are, but to be truly yours. And so I ask that you do a supernatural work, that you flood this place and every person in it with your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word and respond faithfully to it. And Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins uh, for they are many and let me not get in the way uh, of your word, but let me faithfully uh, bring your truth. And it's in your beautiful name, Jesus, that we ask. And all God's people said, Amen. Those who know me know I grew up in New York. And you, well, isn't this good? This is such a great tactic. When the preacher holds a baseball bat, I find that people listen. They're dialed in. But you may also know, if you take the paper and things like that, that I used to play Little League Baseball. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And growing up in New York, I was a fan not only of the Yankees, but the Mets. And I memorized the stats and the batting averages of all the starting players. And they all had batting secrets, right? They had batting secrets. And I knew that. And all this was brought to bear when I came to the plate. Very imposing. Very imposing. I was a big kid. So I take my bat, like one like this, it had my name on it. This isn't the actual bat, but it was one like it. It had my name on it, which, you know, not everybody has. And nobody else but me could use it. So I would saunter up, and I had to saunter, you know, because you need that. It's a mind game. It's a psych out. And I come up, and before I get there, I knock the non-existent dirt off my sneakers. Because we couldn't wear cleats. And then I do another thing. I spit on my baseball glove. Then I get like if Tim was the pitcher, it's my buddy Tim here. I would uh, step in. I do a little intimidation move. And then I bring the bat back. Right. Right. And I get low. And then I had this counterclockwise thing I did with the bat. It was reminiscent of the great Willie Mays. I kid you not. In, in your mind, you're seeing it. I know. And then I had a wiggle. I had a wiggle. You see it all coming together, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, that pitcher would think twice before he wound up. And here comes the pitch. And a hush comes over the crowd. Hush comes over the crowd. They were screaming, ain't no batter, ain't no batter, no batter. And some of that was coming from my teammates and my coach. But I drowned it out, right? And I drowned it out with the sound of the roaring crowd. Because <sighs> that's what a roaring crowd sounds like in your head. <sighs> here comes Tommy Berger, the greatest hitter that the New York Long Island G League has ever seen. And the pitch and the hush comes over the crowd. And here it comes. And I missed it by a mile. I looked like I was being electrocuted. I was such a spaz. But I looked good right before that moment. I never got a base hit the whole season. I made it to first once when I got beamed in the butt and was too afraid to move. And to think, I had a bat that had my name on it. I had the mojo. I had the moves. I had the stats. And I had the bat with my name on it. 
But when push came to shove, when the moment of truth came, I couldn't deliver. Couldn't do it. Some of you laugh at me, but you have a Bible with your name on it. Maybe you have all the moves and the mojo and the intimidation and and the knowledge. And the question for you and for me this morning is, when it comes to the moment of truth, can we really deliver? Can we really deliver? And unlike a game, it doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter. This does. Because our eternity and our reality here and now hangs in the balance. And so what we're going to do, there's a lot to cover this morning. We had a great time praising. There's lots here. We're going to be moving quickly. I ask you to stay with me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I plead with you. I beg you, please listen to his word. Let it penetrate deep in your hearts as it has been penetrating mine and we'll respond to it together in faithfulness. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this will let you know a little bit about what it's all about and why we get it so jacked up sometimes. So uh, there's something there's something for everybody here. This morning we're going to go into a passage of Scripture. We're going to look through Jesus' word and, and, and really see what he's saying. And then I'm going to unpack for you four traps that we need to make sure that we are not caught in so that we don't hear the seven most terrifying words that Jesus could speak. Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. That's heavy. That's heavy stuff. What if Jesus really meant it? Now, what I just read ranks at the top of my list of Scriptures that are most likely to feel like a kick in the groin. But this kick is a blessing. So let's brace ourselves and take it and respond. Because it's, it is his mercy and his grace that provides this warning. Let's take a look at verse 21. Start at the top. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody. Not everybody who says that. Now, we all want to go to heaven. We all want to experience heaven here. And now, God's presence, God's faithfulness, God's love. Not everybody is experiencing that. Not everybody who says that will experience that at the end of their life. In addition to right here and right now. Not everybody who says that. And we all want to go. Christians claim they're going. But he says not everyone who says that is going. And here Jesus is kind of this. There's a paraphrase of this in the deep south where we moved from before we got here. It says, ain't everybody talking about heaven going there. Ain't everybody talking about heaven going there. And that's what this means. And and we see that there's an emphasis on what. 
people say. In verse 21, it says, not everyone who says to me. In verse 22, they will say to me. So it's words. It's words. And these are empty words for these people that he's talking about. And the question is, are they empty words for us? I can say that I'm a ripped, buff hunk of a man. But that doesn't make it true. In this case, it happens to be true. But my saying it doesn't make it true. Do you understand the difference? In the same way we can say all the right things, we can call Him Lord. We can call Him Savior. But that doesn't make it true in our lives. It doesn't necessarily make it true. If, it, if, it, if we're not true that we fail to reason, realize that the life we live, rather than simply the words we say, prove that He is our Savior, that He is our Lord, that we are redeemed. And the second part of verse 21 says this, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here's, if you aren't walking the walk, don't bother talking the talk because you're just trash talking. You're just talking a game that you can't play. And and, and we end up being a kid with all the right moves who can't deliver. And it's so much more important because our relationship with God and our life now and our life eternally, which is now if we belong to him, hangs in the balance. Verse 22, let's take a look. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Now, one of the most terrifying aspects of this whole passage is in that first word, many. Say it with me. Many. Say it again. Many. Will only a few people be caught in this? No. Many. Will only a few people think that they're on good terms with God in this life and the next and find out they're not? No. Many. Are there people in our community? Are there people in this room who who profess to be Christians, who profess to have God as their Lord, who profess to have Jesus as their Savior, who think everything's okay? Everything's okay. And and we're going to find out that he's saying that to us now. He's saying that to us then. He doesn't know us. Will that happen to one or two of us? No. Many. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. May back up. When Jesus says this, he doesn't, you know, I, 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 can, I can picture some people saying, hmm, that sounds like a meanie version of Jesus. That's a meanie Jesus. That's not my Jesus. I don't like that Jesus. It's not a meanie Jesus. The reason it's here is because he doesn't say this with anger or, or some kind of malice or hate. He says it with heartbreak and he puts it in the scripture so that no one might hear these words that I, he doesn't know us You're away from me. Get away from me. Depart from me. We might not hear that in our hearts here. We might not hear that in our hearts at the gates of heaven, at the end of our lives. He said, Lord, Lord, these people come. Many will come, and here they come. I picture some guys, because guys are idiots, you know. 
I mean, I'm one. I could say that. We're going to learn more about that next week. If you like that kind of talk, come on back. Come on back. Now, ladies, this doesn't get you off the hook, but I picture a bunch of guys going, Hey, Jesus, the party started. We're here. Bet all the angels have been waiting to meet us. Look at all the stuff we've been doing. Look at us. Look at us. We've been prophesying your name. We've been telling people everything that's wrong with them. We've been driving out demons. We kicked their tails. Yeah. We've been performing miracles. We've been healing people. We've been getting all this great stuff. Imagine that. And he says, you missed the boat. You missed the boat. It's not about what you do. It's what I have done. My finished work on the cross, it's about me. It's about me and my sacrifice for you and your response to that. It's not about you. You missed the boat. It's about my work. It's about my faithfulness. It's about me. You say, well, some people read this passage and the easiest way that they can deal with this is to say, the people lied. They didn't really do this stuff. But there's nothing in the Scripture that tells us that they didn't actually do it all. These were church all-stars. These were super these are people we look up to. They were volunteering. They're, they're not bringing leftovers to the potluck. I'm telling you that. These are they. They are doing it all. They are prophesying. They are driving out demons. They are performing miracles. How do I know? Because Jesus could have said anything. He could have said anything in response. And when they said they did all these things, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, you didn't. He didn't say that. They did it. What does Jesus respond? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There are the seven words that I was responding, uh, that I mentioned. I never knew you away or depart from me. This is not only something that we could hear at the end of our lives. This is something in the quiet of our hearts, in the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we can hear now. You think you're walking with me, but I don't know you. You are away from me. Although the ultimate meaning of this is what happens at the end. But if it's happening now, we can turn it by His grace. By His grace. I never knew you. Well, Jesus knows everything. Of course He knows. Then there must be something wrong. No. <laughs> that's, the, that's the voice of the uptight fundamentalist lady. I don't know. Uh, uh, it's okay. We love her, whoever she is. Um, I hope she'll come along. Jesus does know everything, and he knows these people in a cognitive way. What, he must have meant something else by no, and he did. It is the Greek word genosko, which means to know in the deepest, most meaningful, most intimate sense. You see it all over the Bible. You see it all over the Bible. It's like how a husband, it's going to get a little PG here, so I know we got some kids. 
a husband and a wife on their wedding night, knowing each other. Adam knew Eve. Abraham knew Sarah. That kind of intimacy, the deepest knowledge of a, of a couple, the groom and the bride of Christ, knowing each other in the deepest, most intimate, beautiful, growing, thriving, passionate, hide nothing, withhold nothing, love relationship. He said, I didn't have that with you. I yearned for that. I called you to that. I wooed you to that. But you didn't have that with me. You chose to love other things, other people. I never had that with you, although I wanted it. And his call is to us. His call is to us to know us and be known that way. So we're going to now take a look at the four traps that we must escape if we're not to hear that voice in our hearts. I never knew you here and now and in eternity. Because eternity is now. It is now. There's not a separation. For those who are in Christ, eternity is when we live in Him for all eternity. The kicker for this whole message and and this section is the less we think it applies to us, the more that it probably does. The less we think this applies to us, then the more that it probably does. And so please stay with me. I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you to escape the traps that we're going to talk about because life and death hang in the balance. Rather than living lives of death, we can live the new life Christ has called us to. Without an eternity with him, I plead with you, escape from these traps because he said many, not a few, not a handful of professing believers in churches across this country, in this church, across the world, will fall into them and not even know it. So this calls for deep self-assessment. Deep self-assessment. And if you're like me, we're not so good at self-assessment. We're really good at others' assessment, right? Because we practice that a lot. I tell you what's wrong with your life. I can tell you the things you need to work. This is the time to let the Word of God penetrate and identify in your hearts. Okay, we're going to get going. We've got a lot to cover. Here we go. Trap number one. Please, if you're taking notes, write this down. Salvation without lordship. God, Jesus, is both Savior and Lord. And the tendency is for us to separate those two. To separate those two. And and to think of receiving Jesus as, as Savior. And then maybe at some point, somewhere in the future, we will follow Him as Lord. The problem is you can't dice Jesus up that way. We can't look at Lordship as heated seats in our car. Sure, it's nice if you have them. Who doesn't like toasty buns on a cold morning? But we're tough. We live in Gunnison. It's, it's nice to have, but it's not essential. Lordship is not one of those optional trim items. It's not a deal breaker for us, maybe when we're buying a vehicle. It is a deal breaker for Jesus Christ. He says, you call me Lord, Lord, why don't you do what you say? And, and, and it's like in the church, somebody says, you want to receive Jesus as Savior? Sure. Because I, I go through it and I say, well... He died on the cross for my sins. He's, he's washing me clean. He's paying the eternal debt that I owe. 
he's he's doing all these wonderful things and I could just receive that and 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 it costs me nothing. Sure. Sure. That's a great deal. It is a great deal. It's the best deal. Then well you do you want to receive him as Lord? Well, let me think about that. It means I have to die to myself. I have to deny myself, pick up my cross daily and follow him. I have to do whatever he says. I let him call all the plays in my life, in every area of my life, in every corner, every discipline, whether it's school or work or family or relationships or finances or whatever. And it's going to cost me everything. Uh, Let me get back to you on that. The problem is Jesus is not a salad bar where we take the items that we want and we leave the beets, you know, the things that we don't like. I, you know, if you eat beets, God bless you, but I don't think he made those for human consumption. <laughs> Lordship isn't the beets. Jesus is God. He is your maker. And we can't say to him, oh, Lord, it's great to have you dying and forgiving my sins and paying the price. But you know what? I kind of like my old life, too. So I'd like to have that new life and my own life at the same time. I don't really trust you enough to follow you. And that's that's the crux here. Jesus is Lord. And we want to go to church. We want to volunteer. We want to give. And all of those things are good things. But we also want control. We want to be architects of our own lives. We want to be architects of our own future, designers, planners. We want to call the plays. We want, to, we want to believe in Jesus and be in control. And the only problem with that is you become your God. You are then the one you worship. We become our own idol. And yet so many people do life, do faith, do Christ that way. It's okay to forgive my sins, but hey, I want to call the shots. What does it mean to have Jesus as Lord? It means not only to hear, but obey. Now, now we need to get this straight. We're not saved by our works. We are not saved by our works, and we'll get to this in a little bit. It's by faith, by faith, through grace. And nothing we can do can earn that. But in response to that, We need to do in gratitude for God who gave all for us. We give it all back. We give it all back. James 1 through 22 says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, fool yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Treat him as Lord. Hold nothing back. Hold nothing back. Everything you are, everything you have, everything you want, every relationship, every opportunity, every goal, every desire, submit it to Him as Lord. Because His plan for you is far more wonderful and glorious and eternal than yours. And that is part of following Him as Lord. Trap number two. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Words without obedience. And we saw this in the James passage. Don't only listen, do. That's the key. Jesus is saying, I don't care. I really don't care how much of my word you have crammed. I don't care how much of my word you know if you don't have any intention of applying it. If you don't have any intention of applying it. Some people's solution to everything in church is let's have another Bible study. And don't get me wrong, please. Don't go say Tom doesn't like Bible study. Tom loves the Bible. 
I think we ought to study the Bible. I think we ought to adore it and cherish it and read it and live it and eat it and drink it. And I think it is the Word of God. I know it is. And I think we need to understand it and be guided by it. But, but if all of our Bible study, if all of our knowledge does not result in the transformation of our minds, in the transformation of our hearts, in the changed life, then we ought to leave Bible study and go home and watch American Idol because it's, it's doing us about as much good. I don't care how much you know if you have no intention of applying it. Take the Pharisees, for example. We end up becoming like them with these huge heads, huge heads full of knowledge and shriveled hearts. Shriveled hearts. You know people like this. They know theology. They know theology out the wazoo. But they have lost the capacity to love and have mercy and grace and to love the church, engage and connect with people in the church and, God forbid, those outside the church who are far from Christ. They become silos, huge heads and shriveled hearts. And we have to guard against that. Trap number three, religion instead of relationship. Religion instead of relationship. Religion is spelled D-O, do. And you can find this in religions across the globe. Different religions. If I do this and do that, and do, religion and relationship, religion and following Jesus Christ have it flipped. Have it flipped. You see, religion says if I do all these things, I can earn the acceptance of God. I can get God to love me. I can, I can be welcomed into his presence. And relationship, following Jesus Christ, is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It is all about what he has done in his finished work on the cross. It is done. And now we do everything that we do in gratitude and service to the one who has set us free. We are set free to obey and to follow and to live. And that's wonderful. But religion and relationship get that messed up. And religion is steep sometimes with tradition. Now, don't get me wrong again. I'm not talking about old ways of doing things and new ways of doing things. Because here in the church, if you do things twice, it becomes a tradition. What I'm talking about is things that are not in the Bible that we attach ourselves to and we put them on the level of Scripture or even above Scripture because we've always done it that way. We've always done it that way. And you can't. God is saying it's more than that. It's more than that. And not only when we cling to that, not only do we always want to do it that way, but we insist that everybody else do it that way. And the Pharisees did that in the 15th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 15, 3. And Jesus said, why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your traditions? Why have you elevated your traditions? And here's what's happening here. Let me set this up for you. The Pharisees, the chief rule breakers, the big heads, you know, the shriveled hearts. God loved them still. But they were whiners, whining all the time. Today they're whining about the fact that his people, the followers of Jesus, are not following their traditions about how to wash your hands before they eat. 
And they were some kind of, some kind of tradition. You could picture it. You got to wash your hands with soap. And then you got to put it under the electric hair, hair dryer thing that points downward. Then you got to wipe it on your jeans anyway, because none of those ever work. And then they chase after you with the antiseptic spray. And, and they were doing whatever those traditions were. And Jesus said, you missed it. Verse six, he says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Because that's not the way you always done it. So you ignore the truth of my word and you ignore me. I'm about change. I'm about changing you until you look like me. And tradition, whether it's old or new, can get in the way. And Jesus concludes in, in verse 8, These people honor me with their lips. They talk a good game, but their hearts are far from me. Maybe we do it by buying into legalism. Religion over relationship. You know what legalism is? All the law and none of the love. And you've met people like this. Perhaps you're a person like this. It's, it's a faithfulness by checklist. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. Good for you. Do this, do this, do this, do this. God must really love me. Guess what? He loved you before you took out the checklist. And we do all that we do in gratitude. In gratitude. Because His law brings joy. Obedience brings freedom in Him. And that's what walking with Him is about. Do you love Him more than you love your checklist? Following Jesus is more than a moral code. It is a relationship. He wants to know us in that deepest sense. And that so far transcends a moral code than anything else. Because you can get that moral code right. You don't have the relationship right. And we're lost. We're lost, and there are whole scads of people doing exactly that. And we can't, we can't, I plead with you, be them. Or we can, we can get so into theology that we objectify God, that he becomes a theological topic that we enjoy discussing and debating. And he ceases to be the lover of our souls who deserves to be adored and worshipped and loved and experienced and followed. That's what he calls to be, and that's what he is And we need to respond to escape the trap of religion over relationship. The final trap is relationship without repentance. Relationship without repentance. We begin our relationship with Christ by repenting, be broken. Be sorrowful, mourning over the parts of us that have broken his heart, the sin in our lives. We begin, and then so often we stop. We continue and we we grow in that relationship by continuous repentance. I need to be a man of repentance. You need to be a person of continual repentance. We need to be a church of repentance and brokenness. And out of that brokenness, Christ re-puts us back together the way he created us to be and that new life starts to grow up and we're changed and we're changed and we're changed. It's called progressive sanctification until we look just like him. And why do we leave here week after week, month after month, year after year with so little change in our hearts, in our minds, in our attitudes, in our lives, in the way that we do family, in the way that we do life, the way that we do friendship, the way that we do money, the way that we do everything, the way that we do God and faith? 
Why does that not change continually until we are becoming humble but beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ? Here's why. Because we resist repentance. We see it as a, as a bad thing, as, a pain, as, as, a, as, a, as an undesirable thing. And it is a beautiful thing because in repentance we come face to face with the mercy and the compassion and the blood and, and, and the love of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and rebuilds us and remakes us and re-energizes us and draws us closer and closer to Him. And the closer and closer to Him that we get, the more we understand His holiness and the more I understand myself and that I am nothing like that in my flesh. And so I repent more, not less. The more holy you are, the more godly you are, the more mindful you are, the parts of you that are still unsurrendered. And so we can't resist Repentance, relationship with Jesus Christ begins and continues in the repentant heart and repentance leads to revival. You know, the purpose of this church is to be a growing, relevant family of missionaries whose desire is that Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ. All your efforts, all my efforts, all our abilities, all our commitment will not make that happen. The Spirit of God will make that happen. The Spirit of God breaking the family of God and rebuilding the family of God. When His Spirit moves in us and in this place, it will not be contained. And that can only be found through repentance. And we have a time in our service and we'll have a time today where there's a call to allow the Word of God, the Spirit of God, to break me, to break you, and to come to Him and seek forgiveness and more of that new life, the redemption and the hope and the presence of God. And so many resist. I don't care whether you come up and use the altar or come up and pray with me. As I pray over the congregation, there's a coldness. I wish somebody else were here. This message was important for them. The less we think this applies to us, the better the chances are that it does. And God's will is this, Second Peter says, that He does not want anyone here or anywhere else to perish, not in this life and not in the next, to live a life of death and have death waiting for us in eternal punishment. But for everyone, and, and you're written into that verse, and my name's written all over that verse, for everyone to come to repentance. This is our time. That is our only hope. That is life. That is his call to me, to you, and to this church. Let's pray. Father, we come with humble hearts in repentance. In repentance, Lord. In repentance for wanting salvation, but not wanting your lordship. Lord, there is only one seat, one throne in our lives. And you won't share it. You can't. Because you are Lord over all. In this moment, we put you on the throne. We put you on the throne, Lord. Lord, forgive us 
for having words without obedience, Lord. We want an image. We want a sound. We want an impression that we're following you. But, Lord, our lives are largely untouched and unchanged and unsurrendered. And, Lord, we want obedience because it glorifies you. And obedience is the way to joy and the way to life and the way to you and and, and to serve you. That's what we want. We want to lift you up with our lives and we want obedience. Lord, forgive us for religion without relationship. Lord, for wanting the way that we've always had it, regardless of whether that's old or new, it doesn't matter. We want it the way you want it. We want to be in that love relationship. Lord, open us up to the intimacy you call us to. Come meet us here. Please, God, enter into that love relationship and relationship without repentance, Lord. We started with repentance with you, Lord. We need to continue. And the closer we grow to you, the more repentant may we become. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and God has spoken to your heart through those scriptures and any or all of that is what you want for your life, raise your hand. Mine is up. I'm praying from a God bless you. Hands going up all over the place. God bless you. Raise your hand. Let us have, let us have every, anybody else? Let's pray. Father God, we are coming to you in faith. This is not a show. This is not an act. This is about your real presence in this place, your real word, your real Holy Spirit doing real things in our hearts, Lord. We want to be truly yours. We want you to know us and we want to know you. And Lord, Rid us of everything that would stand in the way. It'll cost us everything. And that is the only way we can find life in you. We make that commitment now by the power of your spirit in the best way we can. In the name of Jesus, still praying, still praying. There are some here. There are some here who hear that words. I don't know you. You don't know me. You are away from me. And you yearn, God is speaking to heart, to your heart, and you know it. You know it. And then we invite you to come. He calls you to come into that saving relationship with Him as your Savior, with Him as your Lord. And you want to follow Him all the days of your life, and you want the life that is in Him. And if that's you, I see a hand back there. God bless you. Raise your hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else who will say, yes, God bless you. God bless you back there. Yes, I see you. I want to come face to face. I want to pray for you. This is the most important decision. It will change your life right here and now and for all eternity. As you follow the one who is the lover of your soul, the God of all gods, who treated himself as if he had lived your life so that he could treat you as you had lived his. God bless you all, the three of you. God bless you. Pray with me in your hearts. Make this your prayer. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I know I don't know you. But I know that you want to know me. Your word has spoken to me. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I trust and receive that forgiveness for everything I've ever done. And that you can wash me clean. You're the only way. And I receive you as my Lord. And I receive you as my Savior. 
And Lord, I want your plan for my life. I want you to be the architect of my future. I want you to call all the plays. I will follow you all the days of my life. Use me however, however you want. I'm yours. I give you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate. God has done a wonderful thing by His grace. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. If you need prayer, if you are a faithful brother or sister in Christ and you want to affirm that, you come, you pray. If you're a prodigal and you've been away from God because of choices you've made and sins that you've, you've loved, you come, make that right. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's yearning for you to come.